Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm talking with Opal co-founder and executive director Lexi Giblin, who's here to explore Rollo May's book, The Courage to Create. And we're going to be talking about courage and what it has to do both with psychological health and eating disorder recovery. Hi, Lexi. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a little while Thank since you. you've... Thank you. I know. Where have you been? I don't know. <laughs> I've been out doing courageous things. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to hear from you um, a bit about how you came across this kind of paradigm of courage. Yeah. So we'll I, I think I originally learned about um, Rollo May's work, you know, in graduate school. And then I recently revisited it. I heard someone's talking about it. And then I got interested again. The book came out in 1975. And Rollo May was, which by the way, didn't you think Rollo is like the new, a new name that, that needs to be used? More? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that a great name? It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> he was a 20th century psychologist who was focused on existential psychology. And he talked about courage and among other things. And he talked about different types of courage. So I think it'll be Interesting for you and I to talk through what is courage and then explore the different types of courage. Yeah, I, I think that I typically think of it as one thing that manifests differently, synonymous with bravery, which now that I'm saying it, I'm like, okay, well, that's sort of synonymous with taking risks and having um, kind of a bold attitude. Mm-hmm. around certain things, yeah. but <laughs> clearly not that very specific. All feels, <laughs> that all feels true. Courage is the capacity to move ahead in spite of anxiety. So it's it's doing what you don't want to do, keeping on trucking despite difficulty. It's continuing on. It's moving into the future. So it's really sort of the essence of what we do every day. Like courage is thought to be like the heart and Cur is in French means heart. It's sort of the heart of all that we do. Because without courage, we wouldn't make decisions. We wouldn't assert ourselves into into the world. So without courage, all of the psychological virtues would be non-existent. So it's sort of the bedrock of all of us, of all of our assertion of us into the world. That's an interesting way to put it because I was thinking initially when you said everything we do would be coming from courage. Like there are plenty of things that I do that maybe are not very courageous, but more about the path that I sort of assume or the decision I made three years ago that I'm still kind of playing into. And it's become less courageous over time because it's just a well-trodden path. Mm -hmm. But what you're already saying sounds like it's about being present to how we might change or develop and notice new things in our lives and then exert them out into the world and manifest them in a new way. Right, right. It's the moment of coming in here today and doing this podcast despite feeling anxious or uncomfortable. If you aren't courageous, then you will be more apathetic. So not making decisions could have this absence of action. Courage is action. It's taking action in asserting yourself into some, into the world, into your world. So what are the four different types? Yeah. 
there are four types that May talks about. And I love this because a lot of times I think when we talk about facing fears or courage in general, we usually are referring to mostly social courage. And May talks about three other types of courage. So we have physical courage, moral courage, social courage, and creative courage. Should we start with social courage? Sure. Since that's the one you said we typically think of first. Yeah. In psychology, that's the one where we spend most of our time, I'd say. And this is where you risk yourself in the hope of achieving some sort of meaningful intimacy with another person. So this is vulnerability, sharing yourself, and hoping that you will find some connection. So kind of the vulnerability of being in relationship. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because all relationships, you don't know where they're going to go next. We can't know how the relationship will affect us from this point on. So that is social courage to engage in a relationship. And certainly it's courageous when you are letting yourself be known more fully by the other person while not knowing where this is going to go. So to be connected and not know if we're going to be friends tomorrow, if we're going to be partners in a year, but to risk being more closely connected despite that level of risk. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think that when I hear that, I I think of the fact that it's inherently risky to be in relationship because you don't know how it will ever go. Mm -hmm. But I also think about, for me, some of the things that are particularly difficult to bring into relationship, which is disappointment, anger, frustration, different versions of anger maybe, (laughs) Um, that it's harder for me personally to bring in some of those messier feelings. Mm -hmm. And so though I feel like day-to-day some of my relationships just the fact that I'm still in them feels like a really awesome, sometimes courageous thing. What really feels counterintuitive to me is sharing the messy feelings Mm -hmm. because I don't assume necessarily that that's going to go well or that I would be able to maintain the relationship. Mm -hmm. It feels like a no man's land, even though intellectually I know that that gets people closer. Right. That always feels like a okay, you're terrified, but just say the words, (laughs) just say them out loud. I'm mad or I'm upset or like there's always a risk for me in those things. And that feels like the sort of social courage that you're talking about where it might be just showing up for some people. For others, it might be, like you said earlier, asserting yourself and the knowledge that you have of your experience and who you are into the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Scary. Being known, right? right. It's sort of um, being psychologically naked, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> which is <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which is probably more vulnerable for many of us than being physically naked, right? Yeah. yeah. So psychologically naked is a way to think about it. But you know, there, when you say the showing your anger, sharing your anger more. You know, this isn't to say that it's always a good idea, you know, to, right. for the relationship to share, to share your full authentic self. A lot of times it is if you trust that person and and you feel like you want to get closer. And if you notice that, like, not sharing is in the way. Yeah, if it's right. coming out sideways, like right. they know you're angry anyway. Right. Or you stop feeling close to someone because you never share anything. There's right. no more courage in that relationship. Right. Maybe. Right. It's the playing it safe and not taking any risks that will, you know, we talk about in other episodes, you know, about how that leads to loneliness. Right. Right. Where you're not ever sharing who you are to be known and to be connected. 
to others. Within social courage, there are two basic you know, social fears that humans have. And we, we typically move in between these two social fears um, throughout our lives or throughout our days even. And one of the social fears is aloneness and abandonment. We might make decisions, low-risk decisions to avoid aloneness or abandonment. And then the second type of social fear is losing your independence. So the dialectic opposite. So of feeling like you don't have your own sense of self or space in relationship with the two. So we're kind of back and forth between those social fears. Yep. <laughs> agree. <laughs> so I agree with that. Yeah. Familiar. <laughs> we're just always trying to negotiate, you mm-hmm. know, those two fears. And so a lot of our social courage is about negotiating those fears. Being courageous would be moving towards connection when you're when you're fearing aloneness. And then when you're scared of losing independence, that means maybe going opposite to that would be courageous. Like I said earlier, sometimes I, I take risks out of a place that that is desiring more connection, desiring to be known more within the relationship. And sometimes to me that means that I'm saying I'm mad because I need to be known. And that's something of sort of holding on to myself. But it also kind of has this element of really desiring to be connected, mm-hmm. right? But then in relationship, I, I can recognize that fear too of losing my independence in some way. I get anxieties around doing something that's just for me or doing something that is bold and brave and might get me a little bit more connected to myself actually because then if that's the case, what happens to the relationship? Right. So whether that be going on a trip by myself or deciding to make something different at lunch or, you know, like whatever the small decision or big decision could be, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be very scary to do something that's apart from the group. Right. Yeah. It's like this um, balance between dependence and independence and we're right. always sort of pushing away or moving towards or kind of negotiating that balance. Yeah. So um, another type of courage is physical courage, which is where you are putting your body at risk for physical pain, hardship, death, or the threat of death. So this is maybe where, you know, World War II, the uh, soldiers stormed the beaches of Normandy, you know, right where they were, they were pitting their body at risk, at high risk, in order to fight for the the U.S. Another example would be where homesteaders went into the unknown areas with uncertain futures, you know, with not knowing where their next water supply will be or, you know, so you're putting your body, your physical self at risk. And interestingly, Rollo May, back in 1975, talked about a new form of courage, which he talked about as a, as a new form of physical courage, where the body is used for the cultivation of sensitivity. And of course, this is, a, this is what we talk about in here a lot, this idea of tuning into, you know, attunement and intuitive eating, being sensitive to your own body, that being courageous. Wow. I yeah. feel like that makes sense to me, of course, within our field, but wonder why Rollo May thought that. Yeah. He talked about listening to the body and referenced um, Nietzsche, who said, I love this quote, a learning to think with the body. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that that in and of itself would be a courageous thing yeah. to be thinking with the body. Right. What Rollo May was getting at was kind of another way of thinking about physical courage from being like the tough guy or the tough person who's like willing to get in fights and fisticuffs with people and that being kind of the cultural example of of physical physical courage. And he was working with another way of being courageous within your own body. Um, so that's what he was reacting to, I think. So I, I think right away about sort of the courage of listening to your intuition or your gut sense around something. Mm-hmm. I think particularly as a woman, tuning into something that could actually really protect you rather than kind of go with the outside norm or go along with the plan and just go, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that person's trustworthy. But tuning into your body and saying like, mm-hmm. no, actually, I'm going to leave or I'm going to do this or I'm going right. to not talk to that person or whatever it is could be something that would be yeah. out of a lot of courage. A lot of courage, right? It's sort of right. letting your body have power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and letting your body have power and, and inform your choices, mm-hmm. you know, which is, of course, what we're talking about with courage, right? Is this moving ahead in spite of discomfort. So paying attention in this case to your body even though it's uncomfortable in some way, even though it's anxiety-provoking in some way. I'm curious about what this particular category of courage would look like in eating disorder recovery because for some that are in that place of, of learning to listen to their body, it seems like we've covered that. But in learning how to eat or eat more or sort of moving toward a healthier relationship with your body, a lot of people might be really fearing what will what their bodies will do, whether yeah. that means gain weight or freak out, you know, whatever it is, um, uncover more experiences of emotion. There's a lot of courage to step into tuning into the work that needs to be done for the body in order yeah. for it to be healthy. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the work of um, eating disorder recovery is incredibly courageous. Yeah. You may be eating a food that makes your body feel not good, right? I mean, that's physical courage, right? Even though, you know, it may be totally great for your body, but it may feel uncomfortable in your body, especially as you start to um, re-engage with food in a different way, right? So there is a physical courage to eating in in, um, eating disorder recovery because there is a physicality to it. Mm-hmm. And it is cur- courageous to understand and to tune in rather than follow prescribed guides from outside about how to do life and how to eat. What um, your body should, should look like. What your body should look like. Um, to instead just pay, to pay attention to what, to listen, as Nietzsche says, a learning to think with the body. Make your body your friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Friend that's looking out for you. I want to hear more about kind of this next category of courage as well. Yeah, moral courage is another type of courage. And this is where you have, you're willing to stand up for a strongly held belief system, even though there may be significant consequences. When we are in moral courage, we're more in a place of fighting for injustice. So this is us saying, this is not okay, this is not, this human being should not be treated this way, 
and we're willing to face the consequences of what that might mean if we stand up for our belief systems. So it's identifying at its heart, moral courage is empathetic, right? Because it's identifying with um, the suffering of our fellow human beings. So there's a lot of empathy and moral courage. And it, it, it's, you know, a lot of these you can see, you know, moral courage is what people are sourcing when they are engaging in, you know, sociopolitical issues. And, um, and this is where a lot of change happens in our society. So moral courage is, is incredibly important in our, in our society, in our world. Without it, I don't know where we would be, right? Absolutely. I was just thinking about some, like there's been some studies around the group think of Nazi soldiers and this sort of curiosity around like how could that many people be so cruel? Mm -hmm. And some of the understanding is that actually people were able to really separate themselves from the actual situation and go, well, it's the right thing to take an order. It's the right thing to participate mm -hmm. in this hierarchical hierarchical structure. It's the right thing for me as a soldier to say yes, but not necessarily being in touch with the larger yeah. scale horror that was ha happening at their hands. So moral courage to me, it sounds like it would be being able to hold both your position as an individual with kind of a higher understanding of a sort of system of injustice that you might be participating in that goes beyond your own small action mm -hmm. and choosing to say, okay, I can be courageous for the sake of this larger thing, whether that be racism or uh, environmentalism or like kind of those big risks that people take to to stand up right. and say, hey, I need to, let's make a change around this. Yeah. It sounds like people are always holding the dialectic of I'm one person and also I am a moral being that can state something or change something yeah. for the greater good. Right. So I love moral courage. Uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> wow, that's such a cool, you know, I think people who have a lot of this, I have so, so much respect, you know, because they're the change makers in this world. They're the people that are looking out for, for others. I think that it would be wonderful for everyone to be able to have kind of a deeper understanding of their own value system. And that can be a really hard thing to, first of all, develop, and then secondly, maintain. And moral courage seems to be that category. So even if it's not that you're a massive advocate for everybody, <laughs> um, you can at least go, okay, this is my moral compass, and this is my value system, and there are decisions that I might want to make that at times maybe look really small, but they're in line with my values. Mm, yeah. And that might be something around eating. Right. Like, right. And having a sense of then privilege or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. How we talked about it previously on our um, podcast around facing fears is using our values to make decisions rather than avoidance of our fears or avoidance of anxiety, which is another way of thinking about this. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so there's one more category. This, yes, this Carter, and this is probably going to be your favorite <laughs> oh, one. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> it's um, creative courage. Um, so this is so this speaks to sort of the what happens at the heart of someone who's seeing a new, experiencing a new moment, sensory wise. So this could be 
from the experience by the artist, or it could be somebody viewing the art. And so it's this the courage that an artist has when they express something new into the world that maybe hasn't that hasn't yet been expressed. And the risk of that and the courage it takes to communicate something that maybe hasn't yet been communicated or that something that's truly authentically theirs. Yep. Right? Yeah. I think um, as someone that has thought a lot about and studied creativity so much, I think that it's a word that can be really loaded for people because so many people identify themselves as not creative or creative. Like it's this sort of binary and as you describe this uh, kind of having a place within the creation of art, my mind is also thinking about the ways in which people are inherently creative when they notice that a change needs to be made or they're the one person in a group of 100 that go, actually, I'm going to think about that a little bit differently mm-hmm. and raise their hand in a lecture and go, wait, what? This doesn't make any sense. What about this idea? You know, whatever that might be that you're able to see what is and turn it a little bit to the right or, you know, just really change something and be open to the process of change. Right. That is a creative act to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're getting right at what Rollo yeah. May talks about, right? The way I like to think about it for myself, because I don't, I don't know that I would consider myself particularly creative, but I do consider myself innovative, mm. right? So um, that's a word that feels more I can connect to because um, I love playing around with new ways of doing things and thinking about things in a different way. But I'm not creative. I don't, not so much in the sense of creating artwork in the yeah. way that you, you are, Carter. So, but I do, <laughs> I do, I feel innovative as a person. Right. And so I do feel like there's a lot of risk of innovation, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're doing stuff at Opal all the time that I feel like, uh, I don't know how, I don't think people have done it this way before. Right. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and to do it in any way, even though there hasn't been a path set mm-hmm. yet, mm-hmm. I can see how that is courageous. I love that. I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday that my mom sent me. Um, she's like, you have to listen to every single minute of this. And I'm not all the way through yet, but it's called The Creativity Habit with Daphne Cohn. And she was interviewing someone named Jesh DeRocks or Jesh DeRoe. I can't, I don't know how he pronounces his name, um, but he was talking about how we are deeply, deeply ingrained in the ways that we live and that like even evolutionarily the people that probably took the most risks died, (laughs) you know, like to leave the tribe or to go try something new or go off alone and do the scary thing. Mm -hmm. Though they were courageous, they probably died. Mm -hmm. They had physical courage. Right, right. Right. They had physical courage, exactly. And yet these days, maybe that's not as much of a risk. We're not necessarily going to die as easily, Mm -hmm. but it's still very much hardwired in our brain, especially because our ancestors were the ones that survived, to not take too many risks. And so um, when there's a moment that comes before us where there's the possibility of innovation or there's a possibility of change or creativity in some way, we often don't take it Mm -hmm. because it's hardwired in our brains not to, out of safety. But this idea of creative courage to me is that sort of embracing of change and going, okay, I can actually have – create a new pathway in my brain that would allow this to actually be one of the new safer pathways to do this new thing or to try this new experience for myself rather than just sort of the safe 
and the familiar. Mm-hmm. Right. And what comes to mind as you share that is how often we maybe think there's a, a risk involved when there actually isn't. Right. Right. Or that right. Feel, it feels scary. It feels like I'm something's on the line. But then when you really hash into it, there's not much on the line. No. It's okay either way. Yes. And you should just do it. <laughs> So I think that that may be, it may be that hardwired piece, you know, where we're just, we're just, you know, um, risk averse, especially, mm-hmm. you know, if we have that over-controlled temperament, we may be more scared to put ourselves out there playing yes. it safe. Yes. I've been yeah. trying to figure out if I'm going to take a, a trip or not. And I just, every single hour, I'm back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And like you just said, if I actually were to write down the, the risks of not doing it, they're very small. I think it would be inconvenient for a couple of people in my life and slightly inconvenient for me financially, but I could pull it off. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, no, I shouldn't. I should. I should. Right. Like, it's exhausting. <laughs> right. And I also think that there is that we should give our doubt a lot of respect because, you know, because I hear in that example that you have conviction to go on this trip, but then there's some doubt. Yes. Swift, you know, coming in and out and you're back and forth between that conviction and doubt. And May talks about that as being one of the highest types of courage. So there you go. Why is that that so courageous? (laughs) Because if you have, if you come in and say, come in with only conviction, then you're, you're, you know, how often are we 100% sure about anything, truly? When we're delusional. <laughs> when you're when we're delusional, when there isn't some uh, gray area or something to con- something else to consider. If you hear somebody completely convicted about something, I'd be suspicious. Yes. Right? Yes, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yep. And so maybe that could be a form of cowardice. To be completely convicted? Mm-hmm. To communicate oh. complete conviction. Yes. Because you're not willing to share your doubt. And your and so Rollo May talks about um, courage from this viewpoint as being someone who's willing to be convicted even though they have their doubts. So a leader who's able to say, this is what we should do. And these are, these are the concerns, but we should keep going on this path. Wow. Yeah. That's you feel powerful. much safer with that person, right, than yes. this person that's saying this is the way to go this and there's is, no question. Yeah, and there's, it's going to be perfect. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it psych- gives me shivers yeah. to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think psychologically speaking, it's always really helpful for me to think about different parts of self, um, both within me and as I'm talking with my clients, to help sort of notice all the ways that we might be conflicted about something or one part wants this and one part wants that and this side of ourselves really needs this but there's another side that needs that and that balancing act is really hard but it also is one of the things that I think allows us to truly actually make a decision out of a place that's more in line with our values more in line with our desires and our needs to really get a sense of what all the different doubts or parts of us are saying and then go okay I've listened to all of that and now I'm going to do blank. Right. I'm do this. It's, it's yeah. the true definition of courage to yeah. do something while experiencing doubt. Take action even though you have doubt. Well, I I have loved this conversation and feel really curious suddenly about all the people listening and um, 
am finding myself like at least wanting to sort of send a call to action out ah, um, yeah. in some ways just for people to be thinking a little bit about what the things are that they are scared of or that they're doubtful of but really desire or really value and um, maybe to see if there are any spaces in their life where they could move forward or mm-hmm. towards something despite anxiety or doubt. Right. I have a kind of an excitement about thinking about different types of courage and maybe where, you know, you as a listener maybe are all about social courage and do tons of social courage. But what about moral courage? Where are you with that? And where are you with creative courage? Physical courage isn't as much of at play in most of our lives, I don't think. But could be. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Maybe run a marathon or something. Yeah. I don't know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> if you all want to learn more about Opal, make sure you're following along with us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Opal Food and Body. If you want to learn more about our programming, make sure you find us at opalfoodandbody.com, both for support and also so you're aware of any of the community events that are going on as well. Thank you so much to Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering. Thank you to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music and to Hans Anderson for editing. Thanks for joining us and talk to you next time.